morning, and let's uh, open it to Matthew uh, chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to be looking together at uh, verses 27 to 30. That's the next passage that we have in front of us. Matthew 19, 27 to 30. I want to start my comments this way. Have you ever been in a situation where you ask somebody or someone and uh, they it, to do something for you and you wonder if they're thinking they're going to be compensated or, or something like that? Have you ever been asked to do something for someone and wondered, well, what's in it for me? What's in this for me? What do I get out of this? And if I were to take time uh, to do what this person wants, uh, what benefit would I get out of it? Jesus did teach that the laborer is worthy of his hire. He also taught that selfless giving is an in an instructional parable we call the Good Samaritan, where a person gave without being asked and gave without being uh, refunded in any of his, in his expenses for taking care of that person. Sometimes people ask for small commitments from us in helping them, and at other times, people ask for great big things that are going to take a lot of time, and they're substantial in their commitment, and they ask us if we would help. Now, uh, the question is, is it wrong to think that you should get something for doing something? Probably not. Uh, should you always require something every time you put out your effort? Probably should not. Should you always require nothing and just be surprised when something is rewarded for your effort? Well, maybe. Does the compensation depend on the level of work that you are asked to put out? Peter asked the Lord today a question much like that. He said to the Lord, what's in it for us? We have given up everything to follow you. We have given up everything uh, to be your disciples. What's in it for us? And I want you to know that Peter did not get chastised for asking such a thing. But Peter asked the Lord what some have thought about and maybe not uh, brave enough to ask the Lord, and that is, uh, what's in this for me, Jesus? Why should I serve you? Uh, what good is it going to do me? What am I going to get out of it? Uh, is there some kind of payment uh, for that? And uh, we don't ask that because we think it might make us look bad, and so we just stay away from that particular issue. Well, uh, today the Lord answers that question. So let's look at it in verse 27 of Matthew 19. And the text says this, then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? In other words, what's in it for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who left, has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Notice he doesn't say people that leave these things get rewarded. He said if you leave these things because of my name's sake. Verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Now, we just finished a context last week where we had a rich young ruler come to Jesus and said to Jesus, uh, I want to make sure I'm going to get into heaven when I die. What must I do to be saved? And that issue is something that has come up a lot in, in life. And he wanted to know, have I done everything I can do? And the answer uh, from Jesus was, well, no, you didn't. 
and you're not going to make it. He told the rich young ruler, I want you to go and sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And since he was rich, he decided he couldn't do that, which showed his heart was bad, and it wasn't going to get him into eternal life. We don't get into eternal life by doing good things. It's impossible for us to do good things. It's impossible. Uh, we are sinful human beings, and without Jesus Christ, we can't do anything that is good. Once we have Jesus Christ, we can do what is good. The disciples have heard this whole thing, and they're thinking about it, and they're pondering it in their minds. He just told this guy to sell everything that he has and follow him, and he was not willing to do that. So in verse 27, uh, point number one, if you're following along in your bulletin, what reward is there for the one who, who leaves everything to follow Jesus? What reward is there for the ones who leave everything to follow Jesus? Well, Peter begins his question with an interjection, the word behold, which draws our attention to what is taking place here. So it's a way uh, for the Bible to say you need to pay attention to this, you need to look at this closely. We still have the context from verse 21 ringing in our ears when Jesus said, If you wish to be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And that's your choice. Your choice is to have treasure on earth or to have treasure in heaven. Which one do you decide to do? Which one will you have? The rich young ruler had asked Jesus what good things he must do uh, to obtain eternal life. He had a list that he was keeping of all the things that he had done. The rich young ruler asked Jesus uh, for that list. Jesus didn't tell him everything, but he said, uh, keep the commandments, which includes everything. Jesus told him to keep the commandments, and he asked which ones must be kept, as if God has ever given a commandment that is just, you know, out there for no good reason, and you can keep it if you want or not keep it if you don't want. Every commandment of God, God wants us to keep. There's no such thing as a commandment that God just was sitting around one day and said, well, maybe I'll make up some more commands today. Maybe we'll just have him do some more stuff. No, there's a good reason for it. He said he had kept all the commandments, and Jesus told him he lacked one thing. And that one thing we found out turned into three things last week. He was to sell all that he had and give, it, give all of it to the poor. Now, that's hard because he was rich. He was a wealthy man. That wealth was really what held his heart, and Jesus knew it. He's not going to sell his stuff and follow me. Uh, the wealth had a hold on who he really was. He idolized, he idolized wealth, and he idolized uh, the, the things that he had. That wealth was really what had a grip on him, and he demonstrated the truth of this fact by leaving Jesus sorrowful, but he left him. So the connection is Peter believed that he had done what the rich young ruler was unwilling to do. Hey, here's a guy, Jesus said, well, give up everything and follow me. And Peter says, hey, I'm, I'm one of those guys that gave up everything and followed you. So what's in it for me? He had left everything to follow Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that he didn't go home once in a while and see his wife. He did. Uh, it doesn't mean that he was always gone, but he had given up all his fishing and everything for that uh, just to follow Jesus. And on behalf of his fellow disciples, he wants to know what there will be done for those who have followed you, Jesus, and given up everything. It would be good to note that Jesus didn't chastise him for asking such a question that would seem selfish to us. This is the God who taught that the laborer is worthy of his hire, and the disciples were laboring alongside Jesus. Uh, just to look at that a minute in Luke chapter 10 and verse 7. 
he's sending men out on a mission. He says, stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Uh, the Apostle Paul, of course, uh, writing under inspiration, uh, was told the same thing, and he wrote it down uh, to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 5.18, we can read about that. And it says this, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So Peter wants to know, uh, following you, giving up everything, what's in it for us? What do we get out of this? may seem selfish, but the Lord didn't chastise him. Note the word followed here, and also in verse 28 in Jesus' reply. Following the disciples' lives had meant giving up everything to be able to do so, to follow Jesus. There is a cost for following someone. doesn't matter who it is. There's a cost for following someone. And this is true for following Jesus as well. So the issue here is going to be today, the disciples gave up everything to follow Jesus. Have we given up things to follow Jesus? Have we given up everything? So that's a question we have to ask. That's what the text has in front of us. Uh, this is true for following Jesus, that we have to give up everything and that we may have to stand up for him when it's not popular. And we, when we side with him, that's going to be some responsibilities on our part. There is a cost. And it should cost us something for following Jesus. Maybe some friends. Maybe some money. Maybe some activities that we can't do anymore because the un unsaved don't want you there because you're not fun because you're always talking about Jesus or something like that. Or because you act better than them and you make them feel guilty. Whatever the reason, it should cost something to follow Jesus. So I have to ask this question, does it cost me anything the way I go about following Jesus? Does it cost me anything the way I follow Jesus? Other than, let's say, tithe right now, uh, so we don't have that to fall back on, uh, because there's a lot more in following Jesus than tithe. I want to look at Luke chapter 14, if you have your Bible. Luke chapter 14, 26 and following. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, the uh, folks that do the New American Standard, they say that that word for hate means in comparison to my love for Jesus. They're probably right about that. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first consider the cost and calculate it to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build, and he was not able to finish. So we get an idea of what the context is there. Uh, we're thinking about a cost for following Jesus. Do you pay it? Does it cost you anything? Does it cost me anything? Moving on to verse 28, uh, the second point in your outline there, back in uh, Matthew 19. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you have followed me in the regeneration. When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon thrones, dwelling, uh, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So those who follow Jesus will receive two things of note. There will be more, but two things of note. Jesus makes a promise to those who have followed him, both to the disciples of his day and to the disciples that come after, people like you and me. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. He made promises to us. He starts with his disciples, and then he broadens it out to us. 
Well, what does it mean to follow the Lord Jesus? The following context will tell us uh, it has to do with sacrificing what makes one great in this world to gain true reward in heaven. The world has an idea of what makes you great, and God has an idea of what makes you great. The two are not alike. They're different. It is true everywhere that if you're going to follow someone, there will be a commitment involved. It will cost you something to follow some people. I'm speaking mostly about Jesus. You have to work for and defend the one you follow to those who don't think he or she is worth following. Have you ever found yourself defending Jesus to somebody? Have you ever found yourself sticking up for him when everybody's tearing him apart? Then you know what this is. You, ha you will have to stick your neck out sometimes because you're going to be believing things that other people don't believe. Things that aren't popular with the populace. And many things that Jesus stands for today are really not popular in this world. What are you going to do? Are you going to stand up for Jesus or are you going to give those things up? Now, there's people that are evil that folks have followed, and they gave up everything, and they spent a lot of jail. Uh, those who followed Charles Manson, uh, they went out on a limb, and they uh, got cut off because he was a, an absolute uh, demonized person, and they went to jail, and they had all kinds of problems, but they were willing to stick out their neck for this guy. Wrong guy to stick it out for. Um, if you've been around here for very long, uh, and, uh, you know, you, you call me your pastor, then you know that there are people that think I'm a bigot and a hate monger. How'd they get that? Well, when I stood up against TM with some other people, and we wrote a thing and put it in the paper and said we're against the Transcendental Meditation because it's a cult, and uh, people took that, it got on the Internet, and I'm reading stuff about myself where I'm, I'm a bigot and a hate monster. I just want to thank all of you because when you introduce me to some of your friends and stuff, you don't say, I'd like you to meet my pastor. He's a bigot and a hate monger. <laughs> but that's what it said on the, in the, on the Internet. I didn't hate anybody, but I'm against TM because of what it does to people. So if you're going to side with certain people, there's times you're going to have to stand up for it, and that certainly is true with Jesus Christ. In our world today, if you stand up for Jesus Christ, there are people that are going to hate you and there are people who are going to uh, not have anything to do with you anymore. You will have to take views that others may make fun of you for. And, uh, you know, the field is wide open right now with abortion, with homosexuality, with lesbianism, with uh, cross-dressing, with gender change, and uh, all that other stuff that's going on today. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Notice that those are all moral issues. Those are usually where uh, the society fails first. And we stand against those things, and that's uh, something that's causing a problem in our world. But we're not going to give it up because Jesus said to stand against them. You'll have to give up personal time as well if you follow Jesus. Personal projects in order to meet the demands of the one you chose to follow. There may be sacrifices involved for that decision. And here we're talking again about Jesus Christ. Uh, one of those is talked about in John chapter 6, John 6, 65 to 69. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. As a result of this, many of the disciples withdrew and were not willing uh, to walk with him anymore. And the truth of that came from verse 55, where Jesus said, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. 
unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have a part in the kingdom of God. And people were offended by that, did not understand what Jesus was talking about in terms of his death and his burial and his resurrection. And so some of the people weren't walking with Jesus anymore because they're not willing to stand up for what that guy said uh, just uh, in this context. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter, excuse me, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so they stuck with Jesus. And we need to learn how to do that too. Luke put it in Luke 22, 28 this way. Jesus says to his disciples, you, you stood by me in my trials. You didn't walk out on me when things got tough. And when all these other disciples were leaving, you didn't leave. And I'm asking you to stand up for things that the world doesn't stand up for. And that's so true today as well. It's not always easy to stand by Jesus in this world with some of his unpopular views, isn't it? They're popular with us. There are three things that are in it for the disciples. Eternal life positions as rulers in the kingdom, that's the regeneration, the millennial kingdom, and reward. Did you hear that? Following Jesus, and you get eternal life plus. Wouldn't it be enough just to get eternal life? Yep. But you get a whole lot more with following Jesus. Wouldn't eternal life be enough? Yes. But Peter's asking, what else is in it for me? Jesus indicates that at the regeneration there will be in his millennial kingdom, They will be rulers, judges of the 12 tribes of Israel. Regeneration is the great renewal, the rebirth, and a comprehensive change in the world during the millennial kingdom. Now, I had a lot of uh, verses here. I don't know if I put them in your bulletin, but uh, let's read one or two. Isaiah, uh, this is about the regeneration in terms of uh, what Jesus does to the world in the millennial kingdom. Isaiah, we'll start with Isaiah 2, 1 to 4. Isaiah prophesies about what the world's going to look like when Jesus uh, gets done remaking this present world for the millennial kingdom. The word which Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning the uh, things of Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about in those days that the mountains of the house of Yahweh will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it and many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob, that they will teach concerning his ways, that they may teach concerning his ways, and that you may walk in his paths, for the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations, and he will render decisions for many peoples, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again will they learn war. Let's do one more uh, from chapter 11 of Isaiah. I'm having trouble turning lots of pages at once. Chapter 11 of Isaiah, verses 1 to 10. This is what it's going to be like in the millennial kingdom. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. So this is about Messiah. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, 
the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. And he will delight in the fear of Yahweh, and he will not judge by what his eyes sees, nor will he make decisions by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and he will breathe, uh, uh, I'm sorry, and the breath of his lips will uh, slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt around his loins, and truth and faithfulness the belt around his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling will dwell together. And a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lions will eat straw like an ox. And a nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand into the viper's den. They will not be hurt or destroyed in my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the earth. Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the people, and his resting place will be glorious. Uh, you can write down uh, Isaiah 35, 3-10 is another one of those. And so Jesus said in the regeneration in the millennial kingdom, that's what you and I have to look forward to. And we will be with Jesus, and we will be a part of his government in those days. God will change our current earth, and the curse of God on the earth will be lessened greatly. It won't be taken away completely, but it will be lessened. And the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne in the kingdom. So the twelve will sit, the twelve disciples will sit on thrones, and they will judge the twelve tribes of Israel. And if, there are no, if uh, the church replaces Israel, which it doesn't, why would you have people to judge Israel? They have a, a future and a hope with God. Um, Peter and company, this is what's in it for you. Uh, this is the return on your commitment to Jesus. See, God blesses us for trusting not in our wealth, but in him. We should not trust in our things. We should not trust in our stuff. We should trust in God. Verse 29, everyone who has given up earthly things will be given more in eternal life. Everyone who has given up earthly things will be given more in eternal life. If a disciple does what the rich young ruler did not, did not do, he or she will be repaid a hundred times more for what they gave up. Do you believe that? That's what it says. Exactly what this looks like is not really known, but it's a part of eternal life. Note that Jesus started with this. Everyone who has, uh, everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, for my name's sake, will be given more in the life to come, in the regeneration. This will be true for more than just the 12 disciples. It will be true for you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Note uh, what they are giving up in terms of worldly possessions. They give up houses. They give up family. They give up farms. Note what makes this uh, deprivation of things valuable is that it must be done for the sake and the name of Jesus Christ, the one they have decided to follow. There's a lot of things you can give your life to in this world that are absolutely worthless, and people do it. It's worth serving Jesus. It's worth serving God. These will receive many times more than what they gave up in this world. He's talking about you and me. This is asserting that one must decide to give up all the pursuits of the worldly and seek the things that are above. How are we doing on that? 
What about those who don't do this? Disciples who choose the more worldly, friendly approach. Well, Matthew 5.19 says you need to teach uh, the very word of God to everybody, not take, uh, take any part of it out of it, but preach what's there, teach what's there. God does care what the content of our teaching is. Should we encourage people to keep his word? According to Matthew 5.19, that's what we're about. Do we teach them to do it? These are the least in the kingdom. Dr. Keener put it this way. In Matthew's context, the emphasis is probably on disciples who humble themselves and sacrifice much, but are amply rewarded in contrast to those who only pretend to follow Jesus without sacrifice. Jesus speaks of rank in the day of judgment. It's worth serving Jesus. These are people who have their ticket to heaven say they are disciples but want to stay great in the world and the things of the world. And Jesus doesn't want us to be that. Finally, in verse 30, the last are those who don't give up the goods of this life, and the first are those who choose to be least in the world for Jesus, and they will be considered first in the eschaton. Hmm. I've known people that have literally walked away from everything to serve Jesus. Their house, their car, everything that they had. Lots of them end up destitute with nothing in the world. I don't know that God called every one of us to give up everything that we have. Somebody's got to support the work of God. (laughs) Somebody has to support the family. But we could certainly do a lot more. Those who are considered least by the world's standards for the sake of Jesus' name are those who have taken the opposite attitude of the rich young ruler. I will walk away from this Jesus if you want me to serve you. I didn't know this guy, but in seminary we had a a guy, I think he was from Japan, might have been China, I'm not sure, but he was a world-class tennis player, I mean, sorry, table tennis player. Have you ever seen a good round of table tennis? Where they're standing 15 feet back and they're hitting that thing as hard as they can. And you think, how are they doing that? That's, one of, that's what this guy was. And he, he noticed that I'm, I'm spending every day, every minute that I have, playing table tennis. And he got to thinking, what am I not doing? Serving in my local church. Serving Jesus. And that guy, who was a world-class table tennis player, made lots of money doing it, laid down his paddle, and walked away. Never went back. Is there something in your life that gets more of your time and more of your effort and more of your love than Jesus? Is there something in my life that does that? Would we be willing to walk away from it for Jesus? You have to answer that for you. I have to answer it for me. They have Peter's attitude. And they have given up on the things listed in verse 29. Those who are disciples choose being first in this life so that they can find themselves, uh, I mean, sorry, last in this life so they can be first in the days to come. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth or rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Guess where Jesus wants our heart to be, right? With him. See what is stored for us in our eternal life. Apparently, that depends on whether we choose to make Jesus first and whether we choose to follow him. A lot of things you can follow in this world need to be Jesus. The way of application. First of all, we too will be judges in the eschaton of the millennial kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 2-3 says you will judge the world. And it also says you will judge angels. You. Me. We will judge angels. We will judge the world. It's not just the apostles. Number two, we give up in this life in order to gain in the next. We give up things in this life to gain in the next. An example of that could be spending money on ministry rather than advancing your own personal comforts. I had an aunt and uncle that did that. They uh, had a real nice big farmhouse. They gave it to their son. They moved into Grandpa Hubbard's old farmhouse that started out as a Saudi, a little bitty tiny house, and they really went down. But they also gave more to God. We don't always have to raise our level of living, right? And finally this. What is in it for us is eternal life with God. Positions as rulers, plus reward for whatever you and I have done here for the sake of the name of the one that we follow. Romans 8, 18 says this, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What's in it for us? I think the greatest thing is we get to hang out with Jesus for the rest of eternity. I think the rest of that's just pure, pure gravy. That's what's in it for us. Well, we're going to uh, have communion. I think I'll use the uh, Luke 22 passage today. But before we do that, I'd like us to just have a time of silent prayer and ask the Lord Jesus, am I giving up what I need to give up for you? Would you pray? our men if they'll uh, come forward to uh, take up the communion. I think you can get in.